This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, otherwise known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. And with me in the studio this week is Ebony Adams, an author, activist, and the co-host of the podcast Feminist Frequency Radio, along with Anita Sarkeesian and Carolyn Pettit. She is the co-author of the recently published History Versus Women, The Defiant Lives That They Don't Want You to Know. Ebony, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for finally coming on the show and completing the hat trick um, of Feminist Frequency. Well, what I'm hoping is that now that people have built up some goodwill um, for Anita and Carolyn as advice givers, that it will not matter that I'm about to just really foul us out You're, as a team I, with my advice. I would like to, by the way, just go ahead and uh, and apologize for saying hat trick to begin with, because if you're going to start <laughs> adding basketball metaphors, I'm... <laughs> We have exhausted my knowledge of what basketball Sports is. Sports ball. I got nothing. I got nothing. So the only thing I know about uh, basketball is a tweet thread I saw like years ago um, from this one guy talking about this time that his dad's like um, retired rec league team destroyed him. And one guy kept yelling out the name of basketball players he'd never heard of, including Bob Pettit. So every time I see Carolyn's wow. last name, I just picture someone yelling Bob Pettit um, and wearing like socks up to their knees. I love it. And you know what? I'm going to ask Caro if uh, if she is related in any way to Bob Pettit or if she would like to claim it, even oh, if it's not man. true. That's a really good question. God, that'd be amazing if he was like her grandpa or something. I know, right? But only if they have a good relationship. Like, I don't want to, you know, take her down a dark road. Right. Yeah, I don't, I love basketball, but I don't pretend to actually um, know what I'm talking about. Um, so, yeah. Any sports metaphors I employ during this show are going to be Boogle House completely. I, okay. I look forward to people calling me on the carpet. I, I'm looking forward to it, too. Um, I am going to he- go ahead and get us started with our first letter. I, I feel like part of the reason, by the way, that I wanted to do a couple of bonus letters is at the end is all the letters that were coming in this week were just like, my boyfriend, my boyfriend, my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And there's just a limit to how many like boyfriend problems I think we as a show should be adjudicating. So um, <laughs> I, I, I do want to try to hustle. I have thoughts that. about this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, this, by the way, this morning was the live chat and there was one of, this line just really got to me. This woman and her boyfriend were in the process of moving out from one another. They weren't breaking up yet, but they were moving apart. Um, largely because the boyfriend got really irritated whenever they had guests, if she would, like, clean the house beforehand or consider it kind of incumbent upon her as the hostess to, like, show them around and dedicate some time to them. What? And and she said, the line that really stuck with me was, uh, he thinks it's fake when I clean before a guest is coming. And I could just picture that kind of guy who's like, actually, the dirt in the bathroom is really authentic. Uh, And if Moira is going to be getting the full experience of being in our house, (laughs) I think that she should have to step on smudges when she gets out of the shower. How do you how do you as a presumably grown ass person even fix your mouth to say anything but thank you when someone cleans your living space? Oh, your cleaning is so inauthentic. (laughs) Like, boy, bye. I just need to live here with some real dust bunnies. Okay. Yeah. That's oh just what God. happens when your skin sloughs off cells. Oh, um, there's so many different kinds of people in this world. There's oh. so many, so many different kinds. There's a rich tapestry. All mm-hmm. right. So uh, first subject, first letter, boyfriend is always late. Dear Prudence, my boyfriend of three years has no respect for my time or my schedule. He regularly goes out and expects to be gone for an hour or two at the most, but then will be gone the whole day. Having met up with a friend who wanted to chat or remembered another errand he needed to run and wind up ruining my whole day as I'd planned for him to be home at a certain hour. And he decided to show up five hours later than that and claim it was all, quote, completely out of his control. Yesterday was our three-year anniversary. He had to meet up with one of his bandmates to rehearse for an upcoming show. He told me he'd be gone for two hours, three at the most. 
I said that was fine, and I'd make dinner for 8 p.m. so he had plenty of time, and we could still have a nice meal together on our anniversary. He texted me at 8 to say he'd be late when I was pulling dinner out of the oven. So I ate alone and made a plate for him that I kept warm in the oven. For the rest of the evening, I cleaned up the kitchen, watched TV alone, and then went to bed. He came in at 11.45 and woke me up to apologize that he missed dinner. Said that he assumed, because I didn't respond to his text, that I must have fallen asleep at 8 p.m., and that therefore it was okay for him to keep staying out later. He said they'd had a breakthrough, and that he had to stay and see it through on our anniversary. I was not impressed and told him so. He accused me of not being supportive of his hobbies, and I accused him of not prioritizing our relationship. He slept on the couch last night and left for work this morning without speaking to me. Am I being unreasonable? This is a constant pattern for him, which I can barely tolerate on a normal day. But our anniversary? I'm thinking this is a price of admission I'm not willing to pay. Do I have grounds to break up with him? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm always going to give anyone grounds, right? Like, if you want right. to break up, that's those are grounds. You have excellent grounds. Yeah, I I am I uh, I am saddened when I hear people um, say, you know, is it okay that I'm thinking about breaking up with my partner? Um, you know, is this something that's worth ending the relationship over? Without trying to be superficial, even though there's a part of me that nine times out of ten just wants to scream at people, you need to moonwalk out of that house. Mm-hmm. You need to get out. But. You do not need grounds or evidence um, or license to leave a relationship that is not making you happy, particularly one in which you are having to manage sort of the scope of everything that happens, like especially logistics in the relationship. This this is not serving you. And you have been more than clear about what you would like. From, I don't think it's at all unreasonable for you to tell someone, hey, we we have plans that we have mutually agreed upon. Um, why is it that you always seem to, you know, you, you aren't able to prioritize those things or, or, you know, actually come through in the way that you say you're going to be? I mean, fundamentally, this guy is disrespecting you. Yeah. Um, th- so, yeah, you have grounds. Yeah. I mean, just that image of like putting a plate in the oven and like quietly yeah. clean. Like that's just like th- that would be a really sad scene in a movie. Yeah. Um, that would be the scene that was like, oh, this relationship's really bad. Can I be petty also and say, and this is going to come up again in our next letter, but mm-hmm. the thing that infuriated me was that he woke her up. Right? Like, I'd like you to stop <laughs> sleeping so that I can apologize for something that already happened. That can't wait till the morning. Okay. And actually, I, I say her. I, I don't know the gender of this person, and I just assumed, which I should not have done. Um, but whoever, <laughs> whatever the makeup of this couple, the fact that the perpetually late dude woke the person up knowing that perhaps there was something inappropriate about what he had done, you know? Yeah. But sort of to want to preempt, you know, any defense that the other person might make like, oh, hey, you know, I I figured it'd be cool because you didn't text back. No, you knew it wasn't cool, but you've gotten away with it up to this point. So you're the the fun person and you get to be the fun, loose person. And no, that's that's not cool. I I think part of the reason I wanted to include this letter was, I mean, I I think it's a pretty easy start, right? Like this is an easy answer. Um, But I think there's also a really good um, distinction to be drawn here, which is like the problem isn't exactly um, like executive function or time management or uh, anything like that, right? Like um, lots of people are just anywhere from like they have um, issues that make executive functioning or time management really, really challenging. Um, And that's a struggle that sometimes requires like therapy, medication, other forms of assistance. Um, There are other people who are just kind of chronically late and they're working on it and they're well-intended and all sorts of people in between. So the problem isn't just the lateness. The problem is that like, he does this every day. Um, he knows that it bothers the letter, letter writer. He doesn't communicate any, anything about like where he's at, what he's adding on to the schedule, how that affects the letter writer. Um, so it, it, it's not just that this is an issue. It's that he does nothing to try to address it um, and, and does it constantly. So again, don't don't waste too much time. I think there will be maybe a tendency to think like, I've invested three years in this relationship. In other ways, he used to be a really great guy. If only I could figure this out. Um, as you as you say, you already know he doesn't respect your time or your schedule. It's as simple as that. He doesn't respect your time. And that's not, there's not a big mystery. It just means he doesn't respect you. And that sucks. And it's going to be easy to find somebody who does because you are worthy of respect. So 
keep this one simple. Just say, this isn't working out for me um, and, and end it and find somebody else or just casually date some people who are great at showing up at things on time. Yeah. You might have to go back in time to 1957 when people kept plates warm in the oven. This was so charming to me. I didn't know people still did this. It was, again, like you seem very, like you seem like you have a long fuse and you seem very generous. And if you are, like, if you are able to find someone who's not looking to take advantage of your generosity, that would be really lovely that you would like, Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? If it was like somebody who's normally really punctual, but was like, oh, I'm being kept late at work and I just can't get home. And then they come home and you're like, I kept dinner warm in the oven. I'm so nice. Like that would be a lovely moment, not a tragic one. I know. All right. Yeah, but uh, but but yeah. Just to end it, I'm sorry. I I really do want to encourage people to try to stop imagining that there's some sort of impartial adjudicator out there, some relationship judge to whom you need to present evidence to be allowed to leave a relationship that is not serving you. Right. Right. Like, um, what was that old MTV show like, Breakup Karaoke or something? <laughs> do you remember that yes. show? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. And you'd have to like win the jury over to your right. side of the things. And it was usually you would just win if you were the one who sang the Destiny's Child song. As in life. As in life. All right. Mm-hmm. Next letter's all you. All right. Subject. Spouse sleeps all the time. Dear Prudence, my husband sleeps much longer and more frequently than I do. And it's really getting on my nerves. I have a really busy schedule with grad school and a job. It's hard to keep up with household chores and socializing. My husband works and does an equal amount of chores, usually, but he never gets up when I do, even when we both have a morning off. He sleeps for hours more, and I end up doing chores or errands because I just can't look at the laundry pile overflowing in the corner and be calm. Many nights when I go to bed around 10 or 11, he stays up until 2 a.m. watching reruns. He sleeps 10-plus hours most nights and more like 14-plus some days. We both have mental health issues and are on medication. I would like our schedules to be better aligned so we can have sex more frequently and be more productive together. We've talked about it, and he says he should just go to bed when I do or that he should get up because he doesn't need to sleep all day. But I haven't seen any sustainable changes. I realize that nagging about this is not sexy, and the whole need to control when he sleeps is not a great quality in myself. I feel like I'm beginning to resent him for this, though. How do I chill out and maybe also nudge him? So I definitely have a little more sympathy for the the partner in question here. Um, Me too. Like it's it's not quite. I, I can see where it's on the same continuum, but it's not quite the same level of like. It's not a, It's not thoughtless. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I so I am the sleeper in my relationship. Mm-hmm. I sleep longer and more frequently than my partner does, um, and he is he is wonderful about it. Although it's not something he needs to be wonderful about it. I I don't need permission to sleep, to get as much sleep as my body requires. You know, the reality is that everyone has their own kind of base, uh, baseline physical needs. But with the addition of mental health issues, um, medication affecting it, how much he sleeps, the intensity of his sleep, it's not something that you can legislate just because it would be more convenient for the two of you to be awake together. Um, That would be great. But I, I do feel like there's there's absolutely some m- deeper conversations that need to be had than just why can't we go to get- go to bed at the same time and then wake up at the same time. I I don't know that that's a reasonable request you can make of a partner. Yeah, I I think the letter writer is correct in kind of acknowledging like I cannot completely change this aspect of my partner's schedule. Um, mm-hmm. I do think there's also stuff like that you can be aware of. Like most nights, the letter writer goes to bed and their husband is watching reruns on TV until two in the morning. That right there is um, not sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and again, I, I want to be mindful of the fact that they're both dealing with um, mental health issues and they're on medication for it. And I don't want to say like why you should just get in bed at 10 p.m. and stop looking at your phone at 845 and you should start your day with like lemon water and a brisk, you know, yoga jog in front of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing pool. down all of these tips. Yeah, like I, I, I get it. Like life often involves like eating things out of a mug and sometimes sleeping because you feel exhausted at the thought of doing anything else or watching TV because you feel exhausted at the thought of getting yourself in bed. So I get it. Um, but I do think that that's something that you could at least try to talk about with your husband. Like my fear here is, and this is why, by the way, I kind of go back and forth sometimes between, I don't want to assume letter writer's gender, but often I think there's also, um, 
historically gendered dynamics that are present in letters. And often, if if the letter writer's gender is significant to the story, they will say so. So I tend to, I think there's at least some grounds to, if somebody does not mention their gender and the letter reflects a gender dynamic, to at least look at it from that possible angle sometimes. I, obviously, I don't have super, I'm not like willing to like stake a super strong claim here. But that whole like, I know nagging isn't sexy to me reads yeah. very like, the letter yeah. writer's a woman and is already like worried because it's like this thing my partner does frustrates me. But I also know that I will be penalized as a woman for having like standards or objecting to something that my partner does that is comforting to them but is hard for me because that like desexualizes me. That makes me like a bad woman. And that's hard. Definitely. And the the ending question, how do I chill out and maybe also nudge him? The the word nudge um, stood out for me because I, you know, as you were saying, I think there's a way in which many women have been socialized into believing that um, asking outright for what we need um, will, will not end up with us receiving what we need, but also, you know, be a slur somehow on our character and and how good of a domestic partner we right, are. Right. Um, and so it's almost as if we need to, we need to trick or, you know, use some sort of smoke and mirrors into getting what we want and convincing the other person that they've sort of done it. Right. Um, on their own. Um, so yeah, I, I, by the I, way, I have... I'm picturing Tyra's hoe, but make it fashion for like, <laughs> um, ask your partner to behave like a partner in your marriage, but do it sexy. Like that's a lot <laughs> right. for a woman to have to deal with. Yeah. You know, so I, I am absolutely sympathetic to, to both of the people in this relationship. And I, I am the sleeper in mm-hmm. my relationship, but that doesn't mean that this exempts, you know, uh, or that I don't have sympathy for the way that your husband is exempting himself, perhaps from being fully present with the duties he needs to do. Um, I don't think that you should continue to make up the difference um, with the chores, but I do think there needs to be a conversation about, you know, perhaps some sort of compromise on when and how and to what degree things are done and who is handling them, such that if you can't look at a laundry pile when it's a certain height or above, but your husband has a much higher tolerance, then you need to have the conversation. You know, it doesn't matter to me if you're sleeping 10 hours a day or 14 hours a day, but can you make sure that the, the clothes are in the, in the washing machine in the morning? you know, or every other day or whatever. I think there just, there needs to be maybe more structure. Um, And it sucks that apparently you might have to manage that at least to begin with, but it might offer you a feeling of control you don't currently have. Yeah, I I think the key here is going to be to keep your partner, keep your husband apprised of how this makes you feel. And then also on on a daily basis, make choices um, that are right for you in the moment. So to say like, Hey, on the one hand, I, I, I am not interested in instituting and enforcing your bedtime. Um, on the other hand, you know, given that we, you, you know, we both know we both tend to sleep a lot and you often sleep 14 hours on nights that you watch TV until two in the morning. And that means you're probably going to be asleep until what, like five in the evening the next day. Um, you're going to miss out on time that we get to spend together. Um, And that means that there's just going to be a lot of hours where I'm alone in the house and I'm just going to end up doing chores that you can't do because you're asleep. Um, Again, I'm I'm not going to hunt you down at midnight every night, but I just, I would like you to take into consideration um, ways that you can be present for me in this marriage and ways in which we can spend more time together. That would mean a lot to me. Um, So, you know, have that conversation. Check in about that. Again, not every day, but maybe, you know, once a week or a couple times a month. Have a little State of the Union. And then in addition to that, I think figuring out if you wake up and you think, I think there's a pretty good chance he's going to be asleep for the next three or four hours. Think about what would you like to do? Um, Like handle whatever errands are absolutely fundamental to getting the house running for the day. But like, if if you can't stand to look at the laundry, but it doesn't have to get done right now, could you take yourself out to a movie? Could you call up a friend and make a study date? Um, could you meet up with a different friend and go for a walk? What's something that you would enjoy that's not necessarily work and is also not necessarily housework? Um, and, and so that in the meantime, you know, hopefully you guys can make some headway on this. But in the meantime, your daily happiness is not dependent on is my husband awake or not? Right, right. Um, yeah, I I think that's going to be the best way through this. And 
Um, you know, I wish you luck. I totally get not wanting to nag him, but I also hope you do not give yourself the additional burden of having a desire or wanting my husband to 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 do something differently is inherently unsexy. And and that would also apply if you were not a woman. Um, so just to throw that out there. All right, this is our next uh, final kind of boyfriend slash husband problem, but this one is a, a of a really different type. Um, and I genuinely don't know. I'm not sure where I come down on this one yet. We'll see. The subject here is how much to help daughter's boyfriend. Dear Prudence, my teenage daughter has been seriously dating her boyfriend, Greg, for about eight months. His family's very troubled. Greg spends virtually every day at our house from morning until curfew. We've supported this, although we try to make sure that he stays connected with other friends and his school activities. Greg's also become close to me and my husband and has said that we feel more like parents than his actual parents. He's stabilized in some important ways since coming to us. He's had a big improvement in grades. He's distanced himself from some risky friends. The problems in his own family have come to a head recently. His mother was arrested and is now in jail. It's unclear when she'll return home. For now, he's still living with his mother's fiancé and his younger half-brother. But CPS was already looking into that household before his mother's arrest, so there's a risk that Greg and his brother could be removed from the home. His biological father is largely not in the picture. He lives about an hour away, but visits are extremely rare and irregular. Greg and our daughter are scared that he might be forced to move away, go into a group home, or enter foster care in a different school district, all of which I think would be destabilizing for both of them. If Greg were just a friend of our daughter's, we'd have no concerns about the possibility of him and his brother coming to live with us. But with him being her boyfriend, it feels different somehow. We're not worried about sex, but more with the pressure that living under the same roof would place on them in their young relationship. We care deeply for Greg and want what's best for him, but we also want to make sure that we keep our daughter's needs as our highest priority. She said that she'd welcome having them come to live with us, but of course, she's a teenager and we don't want to make this decision only on her account. Any ideas? I have no idea what to suggest. This this letter is heartbreaking. Yeah. I my my first instinct is to say if you are able and if it is um possible to allow Greg to come stay with you, that would be a wonderful thing to do. Um, because it's clearly so important that he have that stability and that love in his life. But you raise the very important point that because he's in a romantic relationship with your daughter, there's a whole minefield there because I think, I mean, you know, I think perhaps the the intensity or the degree to which this could, you know, be horrible largely depends upon how old the, these teenagers are. Right. Um, but if they break up, what does it mean for your daughter to be living in the house with her ex-boyfriend and not feel as if she has a place away from him. Right, right. Recognizing like how important it is that he have a home, but also not being able to get the hell away from the boy, you know, that she's no longer with. It's one of the many good reasons that we don't date our family members. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I I don't know how you thread that needle. I mean, you know, if he comes to stay with you, it is, they are teenagers. It is unlikely they will stay in a relationship forever and ever amen and then move out together and right. you know like this is this is a likely outcome they could have a very amiable breakup right but even if it is an amiable breakup you don't necessarily want your ex-boyfriend living with you sure. also it is weird to um have I, I think he will necessarily start to um take on a kind of brotherly role in the family mm-hmm. um I don't certainly not deliberately, but I, I think the relationship dynamics could also get kind of weird. But having said all that, I am so worried about Greg and his foster brother and everything that the letter writer says about, you know, him having to potentially go to a new school district, maybe go live with his, you know, father who he may not know very well, who certainly doesn't come and see him and his, his brother that often. Right. Um I, I don't know. Is there? Can you talk to uh, guidance counselors at the school? Can you talk to maybe talk to you know your um, you know pediatrician or something and ask if they have recommendations for for therapists you can talk to about this? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think all that's going to be helpful. Yeah, I do think you know if these kids are both like seventeen, um, and your daughter has plans to go off to college next year, uh, and and so this would be like at most a 
like seven or eight month situation and and like CPS says tomorrow we're we need to remove the kids from this home then you know inviting him and his brother to come stay may very well be a decision that you make or at least an option that you need to consider but um I think right now you're right to say let's let's keep that one in our back pocket for only in the direst of circumstances um so I, I think, you know, how, I, if CPS is visiting, that doesn't necessarily mean the kids are about to get taken away. Um, it, it may, you know, it, it's hard to predict. Sometimes CPS does not intervene when intervention is incredibly necessary. Sometimes they can intervene um, when it's less necessary. I think try to get a sense from Greg of like, are there any like dates that are being set of like, if you don't reach this certain goal we're taking the kids like that would be helpful i think to get clarity on rather than just things are really tricky and cps has come by a few times um and and i think also even though you say the dad is really an irregular presence in greg's life um get in touch with him and and just say hey uh, you know we we see greg a lot we love greg he's a great kid um as you may know cps has been visiting um if CPS orders that the kids be removed from the home, are you prepared to take the kids in? Like, would you be able to do that? Would you be willing? And again, he may be the kind of guy who's like, uh, I haven't really thought about it. Maybe he may be the kind of guy who's like, who the hell are you? Don't tell me what to do with my kids. You know, it, it could go badly, but I think it's worth having that conversation with him, even if he's not a guy that you like or think well of. Um, treating him at least as a potential resource here will, will be helpful. Absolutely. And I, I do think... Um, it's it's important to remember that there is a younger half-brother in yeah. this situation who hopefully would be with Greg wherever he winds up if he has to leave his current home. Mm-hmm. And I it also, depending upon what age he is, if Greg, um, say, is 17 and potentially might be moving out in a year, is he then going to take over custody of his younger sibling um, if they are both, you know, not... Uh, close enough to emancipation, you know, where exactly is the younger brother going to be? Because Mm -hmm. he's the half-brother of Greg. So the father who's absent, is that his father? I don't think it is. I don't, there's there's so much here. This there are so many times when I just think I am wildly unqualified. Yeah. Yeah. To give advice on something this complicated. And so I think that your idea of also like in addition to talking this over letter writer with your spouse to talk to um, the school services, uh, a guidance counselor at your children's school, talk to your doctor, um, get get as much input as you can from people who do have experience um, taking in kits um, to try yeah. to get a sense of what your options are and what you need to worry about. In the meantime... If Greg is not in, like, immediate danger, if his brother's not in immediate danger, um, and you're already having him over at the house all the time, this may be a holding pattern that's going to work for a while. Um, But I think mainly you're right to say, um, you know, you don't want the fact that this kid's having a really tough time to put unnecessary or undue pressure on your daughter of, like, I can't break up with him, I can't in this relationship, um, because it would, you know, jeopardize his whole life. Like, I, I'm glad that you are also keeping that in mind and um, maybe also think ahead. Yeah, if 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 Greg is close to being 18, um, would you be able to provide him with, like, some financial assistance or, like, co-sign him renting an apartment where he could live with his little brother and, like, helping out in a way that does not involve putting him under the same roof as your daughter for a long time? Again, if it's a couple of months, maybe that'll work for a little while, but I think long-term there needs to be a different plan. Yeah, but oh my gosh, kudos for y'all to being amazing, giving this kid, you know, a place to land. Yeah. Um, so far, that's that's really wonderful. That's There's really some amazing great. people out there. Yeah, and I hope that it helps. And and I um, I'm really glad that Greg has you in his life. Yeah. All right. This next letter is all you. Subject: Stepdad is ghosting me. Dear Prudence, my stepdad and I were always really close when I was growing up. He raised me from a young age, and we always got along well. But things seemed to have fallen apart after my mother died. He moved to a new state, taking my single-digit aged half-brother with him, as well as my mother's ashes, which I've since learned he scattered without informing me. And he remarried to a woman with two other children. 
When he does answer my messages, it's with some excuse about why he hasn't been in contact, differing politics and fears of upsetting me with his conservative views, busy raising his new stepchildren and my half-brother, etc. I even went so far as to fly myself to his new home state last November, staying with my girlfriend and giving him every opportunity to meet up so that I could at least see him and my brother for Thanksgiving. But he just kept piling up excuse after excuse, even when I offered to handle all transportation and planning. With no contact this most recent Thanksgiving and Christmas soon approaching, should I just give up on ever seeing the man who raised me and my only brother ever again? Oh, God. This is devastating. Yes. Just devastating. I, like, my heart is breaking here. I think you have to, if you can, you don't have to. uh, If you can talk to your dad and say, you know, this may not be what you have intended, but this has been the consequence. Our relationship has has largely fallen by the wayside and it's something that that hurts me and I would like to remedy if we can. I would like to have a relationship with you. You are the father that raised me, the father that I know. Um, you know, can can we have a conversation about this? Is there something about maybe kind of residual grieving he may have done, you know, over your mother's death that makes it hard for him to have a relationship with you? Um, I, I, I don't know, but I think you you can, you know, talk to him if you are able and say, this 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 wounds me and you may not have intended it, but this is where things are right now. You know, can we can we talk about um, why this has happened and, and whether we can we can, you know, uh, grow closer again if he is not interested and in whether he makes that explicit or, you know, talks around the issue, which unfortunately it kind of seems like he is doing. I would still, um, you know, be very interested in maintaining that relationship with the half brother, yeah. um, regardless of whatever relationship you are able to have with your father. I think you know you you push for that relationship with your brother as much as possible. You're you're clearly an adult, so it's not as if you um, need a chaperone or need a driver or something to take you places. But but I would definitely don't don't let your brother be an, a casualty of this you know failing relationship with your your stepfather if he doesn't have to be. He probably misses you too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, it does sound like the letter writer is in a different state now from the the brother. But my guess is even if he's only like 10 or 11 now, um, he probably if he doesn't already have his own cell phone, he will soon. Um, and he probably has access to like an email account or some kind of messaging. And so if there's just any way that you can try to keep up a line of communication directly with him, I think that's that's great and and will feel worth doing. And and again, as you said, does not rely on your stepfather's um blessing in order to do so but i'm also just so sorry um and i just want to say like even if his grief over your mother's death made it such that for some reason it was really difficult for him to stay in touch with you um part of being an adult and a parent means not letting your grief over the loss of a partner torpedo your relationship with your children Um, say that Mm. so i'm just really sorry and i think that's one of those things where just like the pain of being kind of abandoned by a parent not as a child but as an adult has just got to be a a special kind of pain Um, and i hope that he feels deeply ashamed and i hope that it's the kind of shame that spurs him to change not the kind of shame that he just sort of wallows in and then shuts the door on because it makes him feel too bad to think about um I hope you can just say to him, like, you're my dad. I- I've been trying so hard to see you. Um, it- it's been killing me to think that you were only a part of my life because of my mom. And that now that she's gone, you don't want to see me. I want to see you. If there's any way we can repair this, I want to. Can you tell me where you've been? Like, where's your heart been? Where have you been? Um, and I hope so much he can respond honestly to that. I hope he can apologize. I hope he can try again. Um, and if not, and you need to really protect yourself and like mourn that loss and not open yourself up to more heartbreak by asking again and again, please do that. Um, but I'm just so sorry. That's a horrible loss on top of the loss you've already suffered. Absolutely. And oh my gosh, the fact that your stepdad took your mother's ashes and scattered them without informing you. Just the additional pain of that, um, the way he's he's shut you out of decisions like that as well. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just heartbroken for this guy. Yeah, yeah. No, I just, 
my heart's with you, letter writer, and I, I hope that you get all the help and support and love you need from the other people in your life as you deal with this, because this is really, really painful. And and my hope is that if there's any chance for him to uh, change and turn around and, and, and be drawn back to you, I hope that he chooses that. All right. Um, this next letter, uh, also about a difficult relationship with a parent. The subject is, I'm close with my mom, but she doesn't like my bisexuality. Dear Prudence, I'm a 22-year-old bisexual woman, and I've just started my first ever serious relationship. It happens to be with a woman. I like her so much. We're so compatible, and I'm really proud to call her my girlfriend. We also live in a city where we can be open about our relationship and not be very afraid of discrimination. Everything would be great except for one thing. I now have to tell my mother, and I know she won't react well to the fact that my first ever relationship is a queer one. I'm pretty close with my mom. I love her. She's my rock. And normally I tell her everything, including things about my dating life. But when I came out to her last year, I would describe her reaction as shell-shocked acceptance. Since then, she has deliberately avoided talking about my sexuality, which has been somewhat painful but tolerable. I've told her about my dating life and the frustrations and anxieties therein, but only about men. I've remained silent when I've dated women, despite how hard it was to keep my mouth shut around her. And I told myself I'd only tell her I was dating a woman if things got serious with one. Well, that time has come. I know I'm probably not in danger of being disowned or shut out or told that I'm an abomination. My mom isn't a homophobe. She would just probably prefer her children to be heterosexual. So I know she won't react well, even if she will probably eventually come to terms with it. How can I prepare myself for the inevitable pain that will arise when she reacts coldly at first? I have a bit of a complex about pleasing my parents that comes from years of questionable disciplinary tactics, silent treatment, guilt trips, etc. So this has the potential to throw me into a panic attack or a depressive episode or both. I'm dreading it, but I also want to share this happy news with my mom. Help. So often when people write in with... Uh, problems like this, uh, my first instinct is to say, you know, tell your mom to take a long walk off a short pier. But we, <laughs> and I, there's, I still might circle back to that. Sure. Always but, an option. Yep. Uh, so if anyone needs to moonwalk away in this relationship, it's your mom until she can fix her face to actually love and support her daughter fully. Um, but I will say the end of this letter um raises those red flags for me about simply issuing a, a <laughs> dictum like moonwalk away from your mom. Mm -hmm. So I have a bit of a complex about pleasing my parents that comes from years of questionable disciplinary tactics, the silent treatment, extreme guilt trips, etc. cetera. Uh, I would encourage you, letter writer, if you are able to seek out a compassionate, um, supportive therapist to talk about the ways um, that your parents kind of set you up to be afraid of their reactions and feel as if you need to manage their emotions and their reactions to things. Um, the silent treatment and guilt trips are horrifically effective, but they are inexcusable ways <laughs> to raise a as an excusable way to treat anyone, but especially just treat a child. Um, so I can understand your fear at, at not wanting to disappoint your mother, but this is not something that she gets to be disappointed about. You are allowed to, and you should be able to celebrate, you know, this new relationship that you are so happy with. I hope that you have people around you who are just as happy for you um, and as they should be, um, that you get to experience this kind of wild joy of, you know, being with someone that you like so much. And I don't ever want you to have to hide that, especially from someone who is important to you, you know, like your mom. But you don't have to worry. You are not responsible for her emotions and her reactions. And she does not get to put that on you. Yeah, I, I think there's kind of I have two feelings about this, one of which is it can be really hard when you have parents who are tricky, but not so awful that it's like, oh, who cares what they think, you know? When it's like, mm, they're often great, but they also have some bad habits and sometimes they're a little withholding or sometimes the way that they express disapproval is really tricky. And, and, and since it's delivered a little passively, it's hard to kind of call out for what it is. And I have a lot of sympathy for that. That can be really hard. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you're 22. Uh, you're, you're fairly young. I, I think you're just starting to kind of understand ways in which your mom um, uh, treated you growing up was in fact not okay. 
and the kind of real intense closeness that you guys have right now that feels like, at least for you, like it's very constricting and painful. And, and it has to kind of come at the expense of you editing yourself for things that you know she wants to hear is not, in fact, um, super closeness. It, it, it's um, compliance. So that can be sometimes easy to confuse one for the other, especially if growing up you were told that compliance was the same thing as closeness. Um, and so there's this thought of like, oh, I'm really close with my mom, except for this one thing. But it's like, are you close with your mom if she has so effectively communicated to you that your bisexuality and any experience that you have with women um, is like, oh, not, not bad. Of, of course, it's not bad. There's there's nothing wrong with it. Um, <laughs> right. But like she will so effectively communicate her chilliness and her lack of excitement that you will closet yourself without her having to do anything like yeah, I, I I would say that you and your mom are maybe not super close. And that doesn't mean you can't be. That doesn't mean she's a monster. Um, but I, I think it does mean that closeness is going to look very different as your life goes on, regardless of who you date, um, because it's going to be really important for you to um, not let your happiness rest on whether or not your mom gives you her full approval. Right. So I, I think you have a couple of options here. Um kind of a low impact one, especially given that you already had the coming out conversation. If you're mostly just concerned about avoiding a really like difficult conversation right now that might kind of send you into a bit of a, a panic spiral, um, you can just update her in a call or even a text and say, oh, by the way, mom, I'm dating someone. Her name is whatever her name is. And it's fantastic. And I'm having a fabulous time. Hope you're having a great day. Um, it, it can be just a very quick briefing. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> the the part of me that is, you know, <laughs> feels like <sighs> angry on people's behalf even though mm -hmm. that's not required of me. Like the, I, I don't know where this proxy mama bear thing has has come out, but I just <sighs> it makes me I'm so angry for mm -hmm. this person be, and I I am so glad you brought up this uh the the truth that compliance does not equal closeness. Mm -hmm. That, in fact, it is because you have been compliant, which is hard not to do when you're a child, when you're someone's child. Yeah. Um, and she's still young. She's only 22. Um, but, yeah, if if you are only able to be close with your mother because you have never colored outside of the lines, then that isn't um, true closeness. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's why I returned to this notion that it would be great if you could, you know, speak to someone about your relationship with your mother, because I think they might help you understand a bit more about the dynamics at play in your relationship and, and free you from this notion that if you only behave well enough, if you only, um, keep certain things hidden, um, things never will be hard with your mm -hmm. mother. Um, that's that's not an authentic relationship that will be able to sustain you uh, yeah. going forward. Yeah. And and I think my guess is as much as you might hope that, well, maybe I won't have to tell her or if I do, it'll be so serious. She'll see how happy I am and how important it is to me and she'll have to come around. Um, for her part, she may very well be thinking, you know, if I'm quietly disapproving enough, my daughter will stop caring so much about this whole infatuation with girls thing and just let it go. So I, I think if it's me, uh, I, I think one good strategy is to just do the chipper um, constant updates, um, mm -hmm. not not like every five minutes, but to to be a little pointed about it and just kind of like as much as you would talk about anything else with your mom, start talking to her about your girlfriend and kind of don't leave a lot of room. Like don't don't approach it like, uh, mom, I have something to tell you. Um, I know you're probably not going to like it. Like just give her a lot of like fun updates like Karina loves daffodils. Isn't that fun? <laughs> I just think she's the greatest. Here's a picture of me and Karina at a coffee shop. We got matching lattes. Isn't it cute? Um, like do a little kind of like pointed, here is the level of excitement I need you to be at, mom, um, and see how that goes. Again, you may still then have to have a conversation. Like if you do that for a couple of weeks and all she gives you are like, mm, uh, okay, blah, then you can step in and say like, Hey, mom, I've been trying to give you a little time to adjust, but this is a relationship that's important to me and I'm really excited about. 
I need you to also get excited about it with me. Um, you've had, you know, well over a year to deal with the fact that I'm bisexual. This may not be what you imagined for me. It's making me really happy. There's no reason for you to act like it's anything other than good news. Yeah. And this is not something you get to have a preference about, like, you would prefer that I liked egg salad more than ham salad. Mm-hmm. And who wants ham salad? My goodness. <laughs> uh, you know what? The Southerner in me just rose up. I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it you there. Had, I'm sorry. Hang on. Have you had ham salad? Because if you have and you enjoy yeah. it, I will let it go. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, then there there goes my argument. Hump, listen, <laughs> Daniel, I'm going to have a party. All right. I'm going to invite you. Oh, and I'm going to be like, sir, please come this way for the ham salad buffet. <laughs> oh, my it's going to be a little like cut pieces of toast. We're going to get down. <sighs> oh, man. I mean, I'll come to the party. <laughs> <laughs> Really, please don't make me eat a ham salad. Okay. Um, thank you. You're very nice. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's going to be the the best way to start. Um, and then only only if she does not pick up the pretty obvious hints, um, do you need to say like, "Hey, mom, I, we got to check in about this." And I just also want to encourage you to like, if you came out to your mom a year ago and she was like shell shocked and she's never mentioned it since, I think you can actually upgrade her to homophobic. Okay. Um, you know, like, that's not like a mild preference. That's not like, wow, okay, you know, it might take me a little bit to adjust. I had different expectations for you, but I'm so glad you could tell me and I want to learn more. And now that I know more about you and, I, and I've adjusted to it, I'm really excited. And I, I regret that I wasn't as excited when you first came out. That would be like a preference that your children be heterosexual, like stunned silence followed by a year of nothing. That's just homophobic. Your mom's homophobic. She might not yell at people at pride parades, and she might not be calling up conversion therapists, which just means that she's, like, vaguely interested in a certain form of politeness and not stupid. Right. Uh, neither of which is the same thing as homophobic. So, yeah, it's okay. Your mom is homophobic. You can say that. Ding, ding. Yeah. And and good luck. I, I It's hard, I think, when people are both polite and homophobic. And it's hard when you grew up in a home where there's a lot of anger but not a lot of yelling to kind of get a sense Ooh. of just how damaging it is. Um, but yeah, homophobia is not the same thing as like holding up dumb signs. And anger is not just like screaming with a big vein popping out of your forehead. So I really do wish you a lot of luck in kind of identifying the ways in which your mom has actually controlled you rather than close with you, ways in which she is homophobic, and ways in which you just don't deserve that, and and you don't need to um, accept the terms of the relationship that she set out for you. And congratulations on finding a wonderful girlfriend. That's fabulous. I hope it you is too. Fab- yes, I hope you kiss blast. all the time. I am so in love with love. Yeah, love's awesome. Um, I am a big fan. <laughs> Thumbs up. Thank you. Um, okay, so I think we do have time for one bonus letter, and I'm going to give you two choices. Okay. Um, would you rather hear from somebody with a knee injury whose college professor won't stop encouraging them to sign up for a 5K? Or <laughs> mm-hmm, What? Mm-hmm, or, uh, I'm just going to read the subject line of the other one, jealous of hero boyfriend. Uh, okay. We only have time for one? I mean... We could do two. We could do two. Can we start with the hero boyfriend? Yes, we can. Yes, we definitely can. Okay. So, uh, dear Prudence, several weeks ago, my boyfriend Eric was leaving a late work meeting when he saw three female college students being harassed by a drunk guy outside of a bar across the street. The guy had grabbed one of the girls and was fondling her and trying to pull off her shirt. Eric ran across the street and pulled the guy off, and the two started struggling. He was able to keep him away from the girls until the police arrived, but this guy broke Eric's nose, busted his lip, and gave him a black eye. When I arrived at the ER, the girls were crowded around Eric's bed and calling him a hero. In the weeks since, their parents have given him several large gift cards to fancy restaurants as thank yous, which we have used. They also paid for his prescriptions until the health insurance and legal stuff got sorted out. But these girls are constantly calling him and visiting his apartment. And I don't know why, and I don't like it. I don't think he should be hanging out with pretty girls 10 years younger than him. I confronted Eric about it and said that he thinks they only feel safe around him. But really, I'm jealous about the attention they're giving him and the fact that it wasn't me he was protecting. What should I do? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Boy, oh, boy. I I, got to say, this is a new kind of boyfriend problem. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is not the standard. This is happening. not the standard. Like he forgot our birthday because he was looking at a guitar. I'm not gonna lie. I was hoping for something even more outrageously superheroic, which is not to denigrate what this d- guy has done, which sure, is it's great. amazing. Yeah. But I was expecting something involved with a costume, at least. So I'm going to roll back my disappointment on that level and say, I too, I, I'm going to be honest, I too um, would be confused and maybe unsettled a bit. I, I'm not clear exactly when this this act of heroism, like how far back uh, it happened, but depending upon how much time has elapsed, I might be a little bit unsettled if the people he helped continued to seek him out and come to his place. Um, are they coming in a group? Are they coming separately? How old were these girls? I have so many questions. I mean, it sounds like they were college age, so somewhere okay. in the 18 to 22 range. And it sounds like Eric is uh, late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. So um, um, I, I understand um, their, the the gratitude on the part of the parents and the girls themselves. I, I think that's only natural. Um, but yeah, this, <laughs> this is a tricky one because you you are recognizing that you're having some some ugly feelings about these young women that you sense are perhaps not right. But I do wonder, like, how how often are these people going to be meeting at his place and just hanging out? Yeah, I mean, I, I my sympathy here for the, the three college students in question is real high. You know, um, uh, that sounds like a very traumatizing and terrifying attack. Um, I, I imagine that they are quite, quite traumatized. Um, and they're pretty young. So I, I fully get that they're not going to necessarily think we should limit our time around this 30-something guy. He should not necessarily become our best friend. Um, they're going through a lot. The The onus is not exactly on them to be um, thinking strategically right now. So the question is, like, can your boyfriend talk about this honestly? Because, like, clearly what he gets out of this is very young women think he is amazing and that the sun rises and sets on him um, and it sounds like they're pretty. So, you know, if he wants to say just like, I'm only doing it out of the goodness of my heart, um, I get nothing out of it, I have no idea what you're talking about, I didn't even notice that they had faces, they're just vague, (laughs) indistinct, women-shaped lumps, Um, you know, that I think you can kind of say like, I'm not trying to attack you here. I'm not trying to say that you're a bad guy. I'm not trying to say that there's something salacious about your relationship with them. I I, I just want to be able to talk about like this particular dynamic and how long um, we might expect it to last. Because I I just think he needs to be able to say like, and, and and without shame, like it doesn't make him a bad person. He's not like trying to date them. He's not trying to cheat on you with them. I don't think that he is trying to do any of those things. I think he just genuinely really enjoys the ego boost and is not especially interested in setting up boundaries. And he's not really thinking in the long term what's going to be actually good for them or him. Like, uh, of course, they're going to like, you're going to have a special kind of relationship with a guy who saved your life. I'm not saying that he should just like screen all their calls. But yeah, as you say, um, there do need to be in the coming weeks, some limits on how many gifts he accepts from their parents, um, how often he makes plans to spend time with them, um, and how often he prioritizes being available for their, like, sudden, uh, spontaneous drop-bys. Oh, boy. (laughs) Hey, good on you, um, Masked Avenger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's great stuff, but you also need to start, like, acknowledging (laughs) that real life is, is... real life and um yeah and that you're not going to get a marvel show out of this so um yeah and there's this is not necessarily the grounds for a lifelong friendship like they are still college age girls there's there's the, the the standard rules kind of still apply of like is it great to spend the majority of your social time with college age girls if you are a guy in your 30s mm. not great it's not <laughs> ideal not yeah. not good um, and, and you know, letter writer, I think it will be really good for you to say, like, one of the things I want to be honest about with you, and this is not a feeling that I'm proud of, but I, I find myself feeling jealous that I was not the object uh, of your protective um, strength. Um, 
And hopefully if you two can both be honest with each other, and it's not about like trying to get one person to do or admit to something else, but to just kind of like talk through what's hard, what's difficult about this. You can just say like, I know this is petty. I know it's like impossible. Um, I don't want to be in danger, but like this is such a dramatic and intense um, situation. There's a part of me that wishes it was me. And hopefully if you guys are in a place where you can talk to each other, he can hear that and and, and appreciate that for what it is, like an attempt at being emotionally honest. And um, he can hear you and say, like, I, I hear that. And you guys can maybe just, like, set aside some time to go out to dinner somewhere that you both pay for, where your phones are <laughs> off, you know, like, where your phones are off um, and to just say, like, I'm not accusing you of having, like, designs on these girls. And I'm not saying that if you have any contact with them that I'm going to be trying to keep tabs on it. But I would like to talk with you about some limits. And I want that to be okay. Um, and, and again, if he's just like, nope, these are my three new best friends and we will be hanging out all the time. I think it's fine for you to say, like, okay, you know, I'm going to make some different plans. Um, and, and spend a little more time with other friends and, you know, kind of reevaluate and, and revisit this. And if like, you know, another three, four or five months from now, if it's still at this same level, you know, it, you may decide this is not a relationship that's working for me. And that would be fine, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, it will likely gradually dissipate um, in, in intensity. Um, as time goes on. And then, you know, we'll be reading about it in a BuzzFeed Where Are They Now uh, mm. article 20 years from now. Yeah. And again, any boundaries like kind of need to come from Eric here because these are like possibly like teen, you know, I mean, if they were outside of a bar, they may have been uh, of drinking age. They may not be. But again, these are like young women who are recently traumatized. Um, they're not necessarily going to be like, and now it is time for us to set boundaries with this guy. Like, they just think he's amazing. Um, this is why older people need to have good boundaries, because often younger people um, won't set them. And so, um, you know, you need to be able to have a conversation where Eric can acknowledge in the long run, it's not a great idea for him to like spend every day with these girls um, without it saying like, yes, because I'm a monster who secretly only did this to be around like barely legal co-eds. Like that's not it either. Oh my gosh. I, this, that, this letter blew my mind. I have to say um, as, as much as I ap applaud emotional honesty, if I were Eric and um, my girlfriend came to me and said, I'm not proud of it, mm -hmm. but I do wish I, I, there's a part of me that wishes that you had done this for me, that, that this had happened and you had, um, you know, executed these heroic maneuvers in my service. Mm -hmm. um, I, <laughs> I'm just trying to think how I would receive that. Oh, I would totally I appreciate hope, it. I, I, I do hope that he is able to receive it in the honest spirit in which, you know, she might deliver it. <laughs> but this whole thing, yeah, there's no easy way to say, Certain, to have this yeah. conversation, you know, that I am I am jealous mm -hmm. of these young, pretty girls. And I, while I absolutely applaud what you've done, you know, I, I find myself having these kind of ugly thoughts about it. And also... I'm a little bit worried about how much they come over. You know, can we talk about this? You know, can we set some... Like, right. there's no easy right. way to have this conversation. But I think you do need to have it because you're going to continue to seethe and fret yeah. um, with the way things are going right now. I do think, Ebony, that's a super good point, which is, like, if you lead with, the like, again, I'm not accusing you of anything. I do want to talk about setting different boundaries. I do think it's reasonable to say that, like, they will need to find ways to feel safe that don't involve hanging out with the guy who saved their lives for the rest of their lives. Um if that goes over super badly, you do not need to disclose, by the way, I've had jealous <laughs> feelings because like if he just gets right. really defensive and he's like, you just don't get it. These are my new best friends. I have mm -hmm. to drop everything whenever they want to hang out um, because like I've incurred a life debt like I'm Chewbacca, um, you know, then absolutely don't lead with something really vulnerable that he could potentially twist. But yeah, yeah. you know, read the room because I, I got to say like, I'd appreciate it if, if I was with somebody and they said that. I mean, obviously, I would also, I like, I can relate to the letter writer. I would totally be like, man, I want to be, like, whisked away and rescued sometimes. Um, I, I, I think that I probably would be like, 
I wish I had been there. I bet I would have kicked that guy's ass, too. I can definitely... I would have wanted to be the hero. I can definitely Im- imagine indulging in both fantasies. Like, if, oh, yeah. if there's a way that I could split my own personality and rescue myself, I'm sure I would mm-hmm. want to indulge in that fantasy, too. I can yeah. I can relate to When the it. reality is, I would be at nowhere near any of it because I'm a coward. Yeah, A of all, I, I would not be at a late work meeting. I would be like, you guys need me for a late work meeting? I'm so sorry. Uh, my <laughs> door just exploded and my car is sick. Um, oh boy all right so double double bonus um the subject uh, line here is not in the running dear prudence i'm a college student with a knee slash hip injury that will affect the way i move for the rest of my life after two surgeries and years of physical therapy it's largely invisible in my day-to-day life and i can partake in moderate physical activities but i can never run again which i'm still pretty torn up about since it used to be a big part of my life I'm also self-conscious about the weight I've gained and the strength that I've lost. And sometimes I misperceive conversations about exercise and weight to be full of subtle jabs about me. One of my professors is a hyper-fit marathoner who's been working all semester to get the class to join him for a 5K fun run on campus. He's not exactly pushy, but he does mention it every so often, and has even handed out optional training schedules to the whole class with remarks about, quote, even students who don't exercise can be ready in the next three months if they follow this. I know it's not personal, but it feels that way. And every time it comes up, I have to hold back tears. I feel a combination of sad, jealous, and insecure. How do I develop a thicker skin about this twice-weekly reminder of body issues I'm struggling with? Has there ever been a fun run? (laughs) Yes, I I am a runner. Uh And as a runner, I tell you, please go to your advisor or someone that you trust in the administration, because someone needs to speak to this professor. This is so wildly inappropriate. You, There may be, there probably are, other people in his classes who are also suffering from the expectation um, that their professor would like them more, that he would engage with them more if they engaged with him you know, in his chosen activity. And whether those people are made uncomfortable because they also have physical impairments, you know, whether they're, they're able-bodied or not. I, just, I can't imagine, I understand having you know, taught for many years you know, wanting to bring a part of your life and things, something that you're passionate about to your classroom. But we have to be so careful as educators because in our attempts to be inclusive and engaging, we can often be very, very exclusive yeah. to people. This has been, this, yeah, you absolutely, someone absolutely needs to, to speak to your professor. And it, I don't think it's on you. Don't feel as if you need to be the one to go to him and, and out yourself or talk about um, your, your hip and your leg issues. That's none of his business. The point is he doesn't need to be, if he's interested in getting students um, involved in running, which is wonderful, there's a way for him to extend the invitation and have those conversations in his office or as part of a campus running club he can start. That doesn't need to be in the classroom. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like the letter writer says he's not pushy, but then they also say that it's a twice weekly reminder. Right. So that means he's bringing it up potentially every class. Which is yeah. super pushy. And, you know, yeah. I'm sure that there's like, you know, the kind of people who want to like paint all students as like, you know, uh, entitled and overly sensitive um, would probably be like all he's doing is mentioning running. That's fine. But like that's that to me is like overly entitled and weirdly sensitive that he expects his students to be uh, like down for listening to him talk about training for uh, like five K's twice a week. Yeah. That is right. <laughs> like at that point, my friend, you have definitely like you have saturated your own market. Like anybody who is receptive to the message got it the third time. Um, so at this point, all you're doing is haranguing your students about your hobby. And yeah, again, I just think there needs to be a limit to like, of course, there are ways that professors and students can sometimes socialize in ways that are appropriate. But like every class mentioning your hobby um, and trying to get them to join you in it, it's just too much. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it, I would say if you didn't feel like you were on the verge of tears, certainly it would be fine for you to say like, professor, this is a lot. Do you mind scaling it back? But if you're worried that he would be additionally insensitive about your injury, or if you're worried that he might, um, you know, make you cry, certainly go to your advisor and be like, can somebody ask him to just like tone it back? Because it's every single class and it's frustrating and difficult, um, and it's just not necessary. It's just not necessary. 
Oh, I, I, I hate that this professor is living up to the cliche about marathoners. Right, like the dark side shut of the, up about the dark side of the Chris Traegers of the world, which is sort of like, <laughs> like just simmer down with that CrossFit mess. You're making all of us look bad. And I got to say, like, letter writer, I I understand that you're self-conscious. I don't I, I, I bet you don't misperceive subtle jabs. I bet a lot of them yeah. are real. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't say that to like say you're right to be paranoid, but I just mean like you're not you're not being unreasonable and you're not being overly sensitive if you do read a lot of conversations as being full of like uh, really moralizing messages about like size and exercise. You're probably right because a lot of people are absolutely bonkers about that kind of thing. They absolutely mm-hmm. lose their total composure um, at the prospect of anybody being unable to, like, you know, fit in a marathon every day before work. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine how insufferable this guy must be? Yeah. Like, I, as a professor, yes. But just in daily life. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> just, like, handing out training schedules to your students. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, lines like, you know, even if you don't exercise, you can still be ready if you start exercising like me every day for the next three months. Like... I just want to windmill punch my way in this guy's direction. Hey, at least it would be cardio, Ebony. See, hey, you know what? I'm always looking out Ugh. for my own best interest. Yeah, no, it's it's totally understandable that this feels frustrating to you. It's kind of designed to frustrate you. The reason he keeps saying it week in and week out is because he wants to, like, get everyone in class to, like, knuckle under and give in and sign up. Um, and he wants to have some, like, I don't know, like, weird remember the titans inspirational coach moment where it's like i didn't just teach them about calculus i also taught them about life um and he needs to get those rocks off somewhere else sorry yeah tell this dollar store forrest gump to keep moving yeah yeah i i I don't want to be too hard on this guy i'm sure he's well intended and and whatever but yeah he does not need to be bringing it up this often and you're not being unreasonable for being frustrated about it and i just you know um I wish you the best in in taking care of yourself and looking after your own health. And um, this is a lot to deal with, and it's really hard. And I hope that there are other people in your life who um, are chill. Yes. Ebony. Wow. You. Listen, can I just admit that um, I was very nervous Mm -hmm. about doing this. Mm -hmm. um, And I I do want (laughs) to – I do want to admit that my my very first answer – on on all of these was um, you should break up with that person. <laughs> it's usually the right answer, um, including the one about the mom. Like you should break up with your dad, break up with your mom. That is always my answer. You know, I have this this messed up like Thanos approach to things where I'm just like finger snap it out of existence, make the pain go away. I love it. <laughs> and so I had to really struggle. I had to really struggle. Yeah, no, you're, believe me, it was fabulous. I loved all of it. Um, I'm very, <laughs> very here for this approach to advice. This was very fun. Yeah, it was It was absolutely wonderful. What is, by the way, the furthest that you have ever run? Uh, I have done a couple of marathons. I will not do it um, again because my big ass is just, not in the business of running 26.2 miles anymore if I don't have to. That's pretty um, amazing, though, that you uh, have done a couple. Uh, yeah. So I typically run a long race or train for and then run a long race when I'm avoiding doing other work. So when I was um, avoiding writing my dissertation, I trained for a marathon. Um, and then <laughs> when I was working on the book, I trained for a race. So, yeah, it's a way of avoiding work but still feeling virtuous. It's BS. It's all a trick. <laughs> um, Ebony, I hope very much that you will come back like soon and a lot. I, I hope so, too, because I'm pretty sure now that I've put it out there that I would like some superhero theme letters. People are going to send them in. Yes, that would be amazing. Yeah. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Come back soon. Have a fabulous rest of the day. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. And production assistance is by Taylor Simmons. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 